in brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power, oranges lust and blues you can trust, indigos feel and white ones heal, yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Vogelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 537? I think so. Yeah, it is. I checked. Mark is joining us from beyond the grave. Yeah. Um, <laughs> spoiler alert. I ain't got, I ain't got no voice. <laughs> so that, that did cause us to pivot a little bit based on what we were originally going to do. So what we are going to do is feedback. And I know I sound terrible, but I'm going to try to make it through the episode and maybe, maybe won't talk all that much, which might, might be a blessing in disguise, depending, but <laughs> Chad yeah. hard carries for once. At the end of, <laughs> and I will have a cough drop in my mouth too. So that's good. That'll make it, that'll make it even more charming for most, for most of the episode. All right, let's jump into some feedback then. All right. So we're going way, way back. Cause we've been slacking off on feedback. I mean, there haven't been a lot of, these haven't been like long in depth, emails or voicemails or whatever but we've been letting them build but since we got a couple recently related to our literally our most recent episodes we figured we would try to catch up this would be a good time to catch up so mark he wrote way back at the end of may about hi guys really enjoyed your in-depth review of green lantern number one and guardians of the galaxy keep up the good work Thanks, Mark. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you. Because, because, uh, yeah, it's always. I mean, look. Even if we don't get regular feedback in terms of like you know multiple people writing us every month or whatever like that, it's still good to have some feedback. Like you know, like when you when you when you have no feedback coming in, it really makes even short comments like this worth it almost even more because like we're getting. Yeah, it's a quick one sentence thing, but it's the only thing we're getting. And it's nice. Honestly, like it's nice to just know people are listening. I think we I mean, I, the show has been on the air 15 years. Like we know people are listening. But really, aside from like reviews, which we don't get an email right when we get a new review from anywhere, including Apple podcasts. Um, so we don't know unless we go check to see if we've got any recent reviews. Uh, people may interact with us on social media, but that's more of like what we're posting about as opposed to like ongoing conversations, feedback about the actual episodes. So these emails are really all we're getting. So yes, it's one sentence from the end of May, but <laughs> thank you anyways. Like, oh, just, yes, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. We appreciate that no matter what. Speaking of Mark, we have another one from Mark uh, beginning of July. I'm glad you enjoyed them. This is about the flash. I'm glad you enjoyed the movie overall. I thought it was pretty great as DC fans and green lantern fans though. We collectively need to show up to DC movies to encourage Warner brothers to take more chances like on a new green lantern movie. I think we both kind of agree, but we also don't want to blindly support. Theoretically, we don't want to blindly support crap either. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's the big thing there. And I think we'll talk about this a little later if we move on into our second topic uh, uh, at all. And and that's all I'll say about it <laughs> so, to reduce Mark's editing, uh, potential editing. But like, you know, I think uh, it's one thing that you got to consider is like, yeah, should you show up for this universe and stuff and, and let DC know, like we support you. We want to see more projects. Sure. But if it's of a same vein of a same, director's vision of a same uh, sort of uh, storyline connected with other movies or something like that. You know, I think there are times when the production companies or 
the Kevin Feige esque type people, uh, you know, in charge behind the scenes, listen to fans in the wrong way. Like if we were all to show up and support Flash as a movie and made that movie a success just because we wanted to show DC, uh, we support what they're, we want to see more of what they're doing. They would see that movie as success and go, oh, maybe we should do more of the Ezra Miller, the the Zack Snyder-esque type vision, uh, because clearly that's what they want, when what we meant by attending was we just support DC in general. Uh, and I think I think you play a dangerous game when you just blanket support something no matter what, uh, expecting that the billionaires on the other side of the equation are going to understand what you're meaning with that support. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, it's easier for me when it comes to The Flash because I know I like that movie more than you did. But in general, yeah, it's like it's a slippery slope because you you want to. I mean, if you really like something, you should support it. It's like it's like it's why I friggin' saw saw X. Like I think I'm bare. I saw it at least three times. I wanted because I wanted to support that movie because it was good and it was like the best one of the best saw movies ever. So I wanted to support it and help it get, go as far as it could, you know, to, you know, in, in this box office run. But if it was crap, like if it was some or something I didn't love, like jigsaw, actually it's funny. I said jigsaw, but I was, I really meant to say spiral, but arguably it's the same thing, but let's say spiral. I wouldn't go to see spiral like three times just because, Oh, I want another saw movie. It's like, no, if I didn't like it, then I'm not going to go see it again. <laughs> No, 100%. Makes sense. All right. We, what, next have a voicemail, right? Yes, we have a voicemail from Corwin. All right. We'll go ahead and play that now. Fellas, it's Corwin. Just wanted to drop a voicemail and uh, finally listening to Chad talk about Flash and Mark talking about rewatching things. And question for you and the listeners out there. Of course, it's probably more of a Blu-ray thing, but how many people actually listen to the director's commentary for the stuff they watch at home? Um, most recently, I watched the commentary for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which was great, but uh, I wanted to spark some conversation to see who does it. And I don't think streaming does it. Every once in a while, I check the extra features, and I don't think I've seen it lately, but, you know, let me know what you guys think. Um I think Mark does. I think Mark listens, but I, and he, obviously he'll answer for himself. But if I remember right, because he's, I mean, you know, you're more into the whole, um, not just like the, the the profits and the audience reactions and stuff like that. You you like the whole experience. The process. The yeah, process. So, uh, so um, it's been a long time since I have. I think I might start doing that uh, somewhat because I actually – you know, I have been like thinking of like, you know, when I start going around the apartment to do chores, you know, I'm going to, you know, because I, I don't I don't know why I hate dishes, guys. I just hate dishes. I'm 36. I still haven't figured out, you know, <laughs> a way to be uh, more adult about my my dishes chores. But I will let those son of a bitches build up in the sink before I finally get around to doing it. I don't maintain very well when it comes to dishes. So when I do chores around the apartment or little projects where I like. You know, the, the storage room off my my kitchen, for example, there's some boxes in there. I actually forgot what's in there. I should probably organize that thing a little bit, maybe throw some stuff out. When I do things like that, I usually just grab my phone, pop in a pair of uh, headphones, or I connect to a Bluetooth speaker, and I put on a podcast or I put on an audio book or something like that while I do those chores because I can't watch the TV. Um you know, uh, and, and, and anything like that, it's gotta be more audio based for me. Otherwise I'm distracted and I'm pulling my attention over to where the TV is so I can get a good view of it and nothing gets done. I think if I do, if I, if I do start listening to director's commentaries again, I think it'll have to be on movies I really, really love and watch often. For instance, two movies that I come back to all the time for just noise in the background or sometimes to just fully sit and watch straight through the Martian and arrival. Those two movies, it's not like a constant thing, but every now and then it's like every other month or something, I will put on those, one of those movies or both. Um, so if I, if I were to hear a director's commentary in the background, 
then I could easily picture where we're at in the movie in my head and I don't have to see it on the screen. If, if we're, if I'm listening to a director's commentary with a movie I've maybe only seen once, that's not going to really get me where I need to go. So I think it's, it's a very circumstantial case, which I would even consider watching a director's commentary to begin with. So for it to, for, for it to be regular practice for me or anybody, I, I I'm not sure how many people are doing it these days. You are correct. I do like director's commentary. Um, in fact, it's usually annoying to me. Excuse me. It's annoying to me when you get a DVD slash Blu-ray and one of the special features isn't a commentary track. It's disappointing. That's what, ironically, one of the last DVDs I think of Blu-rays I bought, I think was Halloween Ends. And Halloween Ends actually does have a commentary track. But, and Corbin's also correct that Finding a movie that's streaming and having the commentary track intact is rare. I think, I want to say, I, whether it's still there or not, I think Endgame, when it first came on Disney+, Plus, I thought you could watch it with the commentary track. I thought you could. But it it is much rarer. That's one of the things you lose when you just stream stuff, especially like on a service is you usually don't get the options of some of those special features that you lose. And sometimes the commentary track is what you lose. But I do think commentary commentary tracks can be important. Depends how they're handled. Sometimes people go off on weird things and have weird conversations, and they're not really giving you a lot of insights in the making of the movie or or the decisions being made. It's just like casual conversations about this or that, and they're not really taking you through the movie. Those kind of commentary tracks really do very little for me. I need, I want, I want to be given some insight into the, the creative process about how something was, how a decision was made, how it was acted, how it was written, how it was shot, things like that, more than just having banter between people and where maybe only 20% of what you get is in, is, is really the making of information and the rest is just like you know just general conversation because you do get commentary tracks like that yeah i think the other the other thing too to consider because there's a billion and one different streaming services now out there i don't know that any of them do it anymore but i do know that some used to and i don't remember which ones sometimes it's not obvious which ones have the commentary track because the commentary track is something you don't turn on in a menu like when you watch the movie, like watch with commentary track or in a bonus features tab, it's actually hidden within the audio menu. Yeah, that's true. Where you can change back and forth between Spanish and English or whatever guys at home. Sometimes if you really want to know, flip around and see if it's hidden in the audio options for you to turn on the commentary track. That is true. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. Text message. Yes. I know you're trying to save my voice. I appreciate it. We have, we have a text message from Lance. This goes back to August. Hey, we're catching up. Your movie episodes are reliably good, especially because Mark is in his element. Thank you, Lance. But Chad made a strong case for why Fury shouldn't trust the Kree. Great episode. Well, I don't think anybody made a case why you should. I don't think I was making a case why you should necessarily. You weren't argue. arguing against me. Yes, I wasn't. <laughs> thank you. I wasn't yeah. arguing that somebody should trust the Kree. I guess I just wasn't arguing that the jumping off point of connecting all the dots would not necessarily be automatic just because of different things that we've seen and that automatic. But yeah, but you, but either way, he is, he is correct. You made a, you made a good point. And, and I guess once, uh, once we all see the marbles, that'll probably make an even more convincing case why the crease suck. Um, yeah. You actually, you know what? And, um, yeah, I'm not going to pull it up and, and do an internet search, but I was, um, there's this guy on YouTube who reacts to a bunch of stuff and there's a lot of, you know, one of those react channels, uh, well edited so they don't get copyright stroke and whatever. And he has started rewatching or not rewatching started agents of shield. Uh, you know, just, you know, cause he maybe saw it halfway through the first season stopped and then never watched it again. And, you know, he just started picking it up with, you know, and doing reactions to each episode. And I think it's like Omni or something like that. Uh, weird spelling. You'll, you'll be able to find him if you do like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. reactions and, you know, recently posted videos. Um, 
anyways, he's re he's up to like episode 13 or so. I've been like kind of reading through the comments because every now and then I'll make a comment myself, obviously not trying to spoil it for the guy or anybody else watching along with him and, uh, and everything. But like someone had posted just the other day that Kevin Feige said something to the effect of how agents of shield is still technically in Canon because we have a multiverse or something like that. Now, like parts of it could still be true. I, I, I like, I, this is definitely one of those things where I should have the quote in front of me, but I'm not going to waste my time trying to find it right now on air. But Kevin Feige has said something recently uh, about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and its ilk um, and whether or not it's in canon or parts of it are in canon recently. So there's a there's there's been recent talk on it. So. Look, I'm not crazy for for bringing up Agents of Shield lore in a discussion related to Secret Invasion and where it may go with the Marvels and the MCU moving forward. <laughs> you love it. You just love it. <laughs> God uh, help us, but you do. All right. So another email. Mark. We're catching up on heavy dose of Mark tonight. Uh this is about War Journal, and that was the one you've come from a couple of days ago. I understand John Stewart may not understand the limits of his powers, but wasn't it odd how slow he was to engage his powers to fight to fight Varon? We went from John Stewart to semi god to someone who gets stabbed by a clearly inferior foe. We might get an, maybe we'll get an ex, an explanation for why he he handled that poorly. I'm not saying we will, but maybe there'll be at some point we'll get some dialogue or he, maybe he'll acknowledge why he why he kind of handled that poorly, but we did, we, we did definitely mention that. No, for sure. And plus we were talking also about how like he is actively not trying to use his power. Yep. Like he, it wasn't just, you know, uh, you know, the, everything we have seen with him so far, it's just like, he is not using his powers to in the backups to help build that shed. He is not using his powers uh, in the first issue to uh, drive across town to save gas and, and stay out of traffic. He is, um, he is, he's not using his powers for anything. And when he got confronted, uh, by Varen, he didn't really do anything, uh, himself until the man threatened his mother. Like, so like he is, he has gone beyond pushing his powers aside just to, just to like, cause the idea I think we had or Dan had or someone was like, the idea is like, He's trying to reconnect with his need to be his, his his own humanity. So, I mean, like, what's the, you know, it, he's he's scared of what he's become, maybe, and he wants to reconnect with his own humanity. And if he uses his powers to com- complete menial tasks that he could get done, you know, by being a human, then he may he may view himself as less than. But I think it goes a little bit beyond that, because I, I mean, as Mark points out, you know. I'm not going to pull the issue up here in front of me, but he does take a little while to even defend himself. So how, how, if even, if, even if this is the right word to describe it, how quote unquote scared is he of his current abilities? Because we know for sure he hasn't tested their limits because he doesn't know what he's doing with them. Uh, Cause we've seen that on the page. So if he hasn't tested his limits and won't defend himself at least not immediately then how scared is he you know not the operative word to apply to a green lantern but you know uh, maybe there's some other how trep- trepidatious is he of them you know like what what is going on with his um willingness to use those abilities uh only in very extreme cases that's true i mean i think i think there may be more pieces to this puzzle that we don't we're not aware of yet but you but your basic point is yeah he's trying not to use his powers so and, he, and again there's an element of there's an element of overconfidence and arrogance that probably does come into play here too thinking well okay he's forced me to do this but this is going to take me two seconds to take care of so let me just do it and boom but he miscalculated yeah for sure all right and that brings us current right yes all right, we have an email from Shane, uh, and that came in last night, actually, as we record this. He's got three different points here. So how about I take point one, we talk, point two, we talk, and point three, and just give you rests in between. Sound good? Thank you, yeah. Chad. <laughs> All right. He's, uh, Shane says, and this is about uh, uh, the Alan Scott uh, episode. 
um, which I knew <laughs> I knew we'd have feedback. And thank God it's been like this thus far. <laughs> People understanding what we're trying to say. Uh, he starts off, Dan, Mark, and Chad, good discussion on the podcast. I have some thoughts about this direction taken with Alan, and I hate to say it, but they're definitely negative. Part of my thoughts have to do with Alan and part of the wider changes to the JSA, but I think it's all relevant. I'll keep this as concise as I can. Number one, the use of the term Golden Age Red Lantern encapsulates my first problem with what's been done with the JSA since Infinite Crisis. In reality, as we all know, there was never a Golden Age Red Lantern. The only characters that can properly be referred to as quote-unquote Golden Age are the ones that actually originated in the late 30s through the early 50s. The quote new Golden Age branding is being used to associate characters and concepts that were never really part of that era and those who were, and it just doesn't work. I could never buy massive retcons that make major changes to a character. And here we have not just Alan altered, but many of DC's OG generation of characters have things grafted onto their history in what seems to be an attempt to modernize them. It's the fact that they are the old fashioned original generation that were it's uh, it's the fact that they are the old fashioned original generation that were actually around at the beginning that what's that makes them special to me the more they're changed the more quote in name only unquote they become and the appeal is gradually lost and that's uh, that ends part one. Uh, point 1 yeah and th- there's there's a lot of truth in that i as dan you know as dan pointed out when you factor it factor in though again it's, it's it's a convenient excuse to do some of the things that they want to do period but the idea that well because you're they're they're retconning all these things quote unquote back into history that 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 causes a ripple effect that you now you have to now you have to explore all these changes you know the changes that re, basically restoring quote unquote the timeline what it does that it you know yeah it's all it's all forced to tell the stories and agendas that they want to tell with these with the JSA characters. So I basically agree with Shane's point on this. They're not, it's, they're, we yeah it's not really a golden age Red Lantern. You know it's so I would just say generally speaking I I kind of do think I do think he kind of hits the nail on the head most for the most part on point one. Yeah, and, and and guys, you know, we'll obviously read more of this email here in a second, but he builds on these points. Uh, he yes, he split them up into three points, but they kind of build on each other. Yeah, so well, it's a, it's a well written, it's a well organized email. Yeah, for sure. So, I I mean, I agree with what, a lot of what he's saying here. I think it, you know, you kind of have to pick and choose because Jay Garrick's daughter, I believe, was something that was I think maybe referred to in all flash comics back in the day, or we actually saw her. I can't remember because Dan was talking about it when we talked about the Alan Scott issue, because he was saying something about how Jay's daughter actually existed at one point, but I don't know that for sure because obviously I'm more green lantern fan than a, than a classic flash fan. Um, so, um, but I, I agree largely with what Shane is saying, which brings us to point two. He says um, the crimson flame and the red lantern are not new or creative. They're just derivatives of the existing ideas that worked during John's GL run with Hal, but it does not work for Alan. One of the things that appeals to me about Alan during the actual golden age is that he was unique. As much as I love Hal and the core, Alan was and is distinctive and different creating a quote unquote golden age green red lantern who was Alan's contemporary ends that uniqueness now we have multiple lanterns in the 1940s, with one being a derivative of the other. It's an idea that should never have gotten off the drawing board. That uh, that I'll agree with uh, a little bit. I don't look. Uh, every character can be a piece of crap in in um, poor pitch and idea until somebody comes along and tells a good story with it. Right. So we have yet to see the story of Red Lantern fleshed out. He could become a good polar opposite to our hero, a la Reverse Flash Flash, 
even though that's a stupid idea. If you were to tell no somebody who knows nothing about comic books and nothing about the Flash, uh, so there's this hero named the Flash, and he can run really fast, and his big villain is his, his name is Reverse Flash. Uh, you know that sounds inherently stupid, but you read enough good Reverse Flash content, you might go and change your tune a little bit. I think that potential exists for the Red Lantern, but only because. We haven't gotten a single story with him yet. So right now, all we have is the dumb Green Lantern, Red Lantern thing. Because we have nothing else to build it on. So in a way, a little bit, I'll disagree with you there, Shane. Yes, 100%, the potential exists for him to be a simple derivative and nothing more. And it, and it wholly makes Alan, un, you know, uh, you know, ununique. And that's a stupid idea and it never should have gotten off the drawing board. Until someone tells a great story with it, which we haven't seen even a story with it yet. So I'm being a little hesitant on that point. I think overall, I agree. I agree with you, which means I mostly agree with Shane. I'm not a fan of. It's not I agree. It's not it's not original. I agree that it could very well be so derivative. And just like, oh, you know, oh, we have we basically they, they had to give Alan Scott a Sinestro. But I'm not dismissive of the idea that it can't potentially work. Now, do I think it pro do I have a lot of confidence it's gonna work, especially based on just in relation to Alan and where and where DC seemingly wants to focus with Alan? Do I have a lot of faith that this editor, you know, this regime is going to pull this off successfully? Probably not, but I'm I'm willing to at least I'm open to the idea that maybe it'll make ret, retconning a, a new arch villain for Alan could work. So at least yeah. I'm open to the idea. All right. And let's go ahead and wrap up this email uh, with the final point in his uh, wrap up thoughts here. He says, and finally, I've been reading the GSA with and Alan Scott since probably 1991. All that time, Alan has been married to the Golden Age Harlequin, Molly Maine, which I know you guys know. I enjoyed reading about that relationship, which, along with Jay and Joan Garrick, was one of the few older married couples happily in love in all of comics. I'm particularly thinking of the stories from Green Lantern Corps Quarterly or the time Alan as Sentinel had to go rescue Molly from Neron during Underworld Unleashed or the time she was the one he thought of in Starman when he thought Grundy was about to kill him. As a longtime fan, I do not appreciate DC seeing that relationship as of no value in either removing it or retconning Molly into a beard for Alan. I liked Alan as he was, and more has been lost uh, than has been gained by applying one of those massive history-altering retcons that I never liked anyway. I had no problem with New 52 Alan being gay. He was essentially a new character with his story just starting. I have a big problem with the OG Alan being retconned as always gay, with all the change and disruption that brings to a character I've enjoyed for a long time. I read the first issue, and nothing we got there makes these changes to Alan worthwhile. At this point, I'll only find the version of the character I care about in back issues, I'm sad to say. Like I said, good discussion. You guys took a tough topic and kept it respectful, even with differing points of view. Well done. Thanks, Shane. Appreciate that. Um, uh, I will be one to fully admit I was wondering uh, you know, about the best way to even promote the episode or like, should we put a forewarning in there? Of, like, you know, there's a, you know, uh, tough topics ahead, you know, make sure you listen to the full thing before you comment or what, well, obviously I, I overthink these things. I never was going to actually pull any of those triggers, but you know, the gymnastics your head goes through to, <laughs> to avoid, uh, all the drama that happens online when you post something like this. So thank you for, for saying yes. that you, you appreciate the way Mark, Dan, and I uh, handled that. So that's cool. I agree with him here, to be honest. To an extent, I don't think, I mean, as of yet, they I don't think they have made his relationship with Molly um, 
as a, it presented it in such a way that it has no value. That said, I can see how you see that because we haven't seen Molly. We haven't talked about that side of his sexuality. Like, okay, if he's gay now, but everything still happened because he was in the closet, did he really love Molly? Uh, did he really care for her? And, and as Shane says here, uh, is she just a beard? Like how, how true and authentic was their relationship? But that's supposing that you can't have genuine feelings and care about and love a person um, just because they're not your, you know, your sexual partner uh, or, or anything like that. I, there are lots of very strong relationships, loves uh, that are not romantic loves, but just really healthy and intense loves that people have between each other that don't share any sexual attraction or anything like that. So until such a time as I see on panel, them disrespecting his relationship with Molly, um, all I can go off of right now is that they haven't shown it, which could be them saying something in and of itself, which I will allow for. But when, if they start straight up disrespecting that relationship, you better believe I'm going to have a little bit more of a problem with it than I have up until this point. But they kind of did. If you go back to, I think the, I think it was the infinite frontier special when Alan Scott, he didn't quite phrase it this way, but Alan Scott pretty much essentially says like, I'm trying, he essentially said that like, I, I love them, but I wasn't in love with them. He didn't quite phrase it that way, but that was the gist of what came across in that Tynan story. So I think, I think there's already enough, you're right. They haven't dealt focused in on that angle because they're too busy doing what they want to do. But the reality is, I think that in that in that story, which I'm pretty sure was a Tynan story, I think you already know how they're going to approach that. That he basically he had he absolutely is going to have feelings for her. Best case scenario, he thought he was in love with her. Or he 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 tried to be in love with her because he because that's what society told him to do. But I think there's already enough circumstantial that it's because, again, well, for, first of all, I mean, Chad did kind of say this, but that was a really good email, Shane. And it does. It makes it feel better because the, that, that was an episode that I was thinking about this on the surface. I should have been more trepidatious because I knew I was going to be more on the island. But then again, Chad might have been trepidatious overall because he because he knew of it, that I was going to be taking a position that was potentially not going to be overly popular um, or could cause more pushback just by by not rolling with uh, rolling with the position that DC is taking, if you will. And even even after the episode ended, it was like. It was an uncomfortable episode to do. It was just, and I, and it stayed with me more than most episodes do after I finished, which is probably why I edited that episode so fast. Maybe just to kind of get it off, get it off the plate, Lift, lifting the veil a little bit. When we recorded that episode, we already had the war, the war journal episode in the can, so that was the episode I actually had to edit the coming weekend. But I edited both. I edited both episodes in the same weekend, probably the same same day and a half. So, but I was thinking something hit me. Something hit me after the fact, which makes sense because and I thought about waiting until until Dan was here. But then this wasn't a point that Dan made. It was more a point you and I made. And obviously, the odds are there'll be an opportunity. You know, when Dan listens to this, if he wants to comment on it, or if it comes up naturally when we do the second issue of Alan Scott that you and I talked about execution that our main issue quote unquote was with execution. And from our perspective, that makes sense because we're looking at it that, well, you know, if they, if they approached it differently, it would go over better, not just with us, but probably in general, but it really isn't an execution problem from DC's perspective, because when you think about it, if there's an execution problem, it just means something is done sloppily in a haphazard fashion, which works against what your goal is. So using the football analogy, which Chad will appreciate, it's <laughs> like it's like every single time you have a big you hit a big run run or you hit a big pass play, it gets called back with holding. That's an execution problem. If you have a perfect formation for the defense and your left tackle moves and you get a full start, 
and then the defense gets to reset and now it's not the same anymore. That's an execution problem because it's getting, it's getting in the way of your goal, which is to move the ball down the field and score. If you don't like what's going on with DC with Alan Scott, it really isn't an execution problem because honestly, they're executing exact they're executing the stories exactly how they want to tell them. It's a if you don't agree with it, it's a game plan problem, which is why maybe now you see maybe now after we had a post mortem on that episode, you'll understand you understand even more why going back to the Tynan quote, how important that is because that tells you everything you need to know about what they're doing. What the goal always was with Alan Scott, the Alan Scott we get, we have right now, the stories and how they're telling them. That was what they always wanted to do with Alan Scott. The DO just wouldn't let them do it at the time. Probably from a business perspective, that was correct, actually. But that's what they always wanted. They always wanted the the OG Alan Scott eventually to be gay, to be the flagship gay male character. So they really don't want the stories to be Oh, for his gain, his quote unquote sexuality. I was going to say gayness, which is why I started the quote and I stopped his sexuality to be a matter of fact thing that it gets just accepted or it just gets assimilated because it's because he's so much of the same character. It's almost like, oh, we almost forgot we made a change. That's not what they want. And we did touch upon this aspect in the episode. They're telling the stories the way they want to tell it. They want they don't want you to forget that Alan Scott's gay, which is why the majority of stories you get with Alan Scott, probably for the foreseeable future, are going to be like this, where that's going to be in the forefront. And also by retconning his whole origin. So he was gay all along, closeted. That almost forces people to write stories about Alan Scott and his sexuality, even if you don't want to. You can avoid it here and there, maybe an arc, maybe a graphic novel. But you're never going to be able to avoid it for long because editorial right now probably wouldn't let you. And you've also run the risk of being called a homophobe or or straight washing him because you're rewriting his 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 you're rewriting his revised sexuality. So it's like an albatross. It's going to be around writers next, even if they don't want to deal with it. And if he just came out now, then plus something Dan said that we talked about. You look at Alan Scott's. When are they going to give Alan Scott a break and when is he going to be happy? Well, he can't be happy because, again, there's no subtlety here. The anti-Morgan Freeman approach. He's a closeted gay male living in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. So the whole point is he's destined not to be happy during that time frame because he can't be happy because he has to live a lie. And he can't live and be who he can't live true to who he really is. And those are stories you wouldn't have to focus on all the time if you didn't change his sexuality going back to the very beginning. So to me, I thought about this after the fact. From a reader's perspective, it might be execution. It really isn't because they're they're executing their game plan perfectly. These are the stories they want to tell and how and how they see Alan Scott. That is his worth to them. He is the standard bearer carrying it up the hill. So they really don't want you to forget that he's gay. So it's going to be in the forefront for the foreseeable future. So I think, and I do agree with Shane that, and which I kind of mentioned anyway, yeah, this is not quote unquote the real Alan Scott. It has nothing to do with always, oh, he's sleeping with the other team. It has to do with that's all they care about talking about. And they don't show us enough of what made Alan Scott, Alan Scott. They didn't basically say this is the same character. He's just, he just switched teams, which they could do. Eventually, and they could have done a Star Wars, but those are not the stories they want to tell. So I would be surprised if what we got in issue one isn't going to be the overall way this this Alan's sexual because it's been this is the way they've approached it since the Infinite Frontier. So, yeah, yeah, but I played back and forth with how I was going to keep going with this. So I just made sure I pulled up a notepad while you were talking. So I bulleted all my points. So I didn't forget where I was going next. Um, So in terms of Alan's uh, sexuality and everything now, look, I'm not going to say I'm not going to talk about it anymore. And I don't want to talk about it. I think the, I think when uh, very obvious things happen, uh, of course, I'm going to comment on them. But at this point, 
I think I have said everything I can slash need to based on available publication information thus far. Um, and me railing against it or, you know, um, would you say it's not execution? It's what? Yeah, I can't speak now, of course. Game, <laughs> Vision. Game plan, game plan. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like, so those, regardless of what it is, I've spoken on it enough that railing against it every time we get a new story, another issue in the story or whatever is not going to do anybody any good. I think mm. at this point, look, I'm not saying uh, I'm never going to talk about it again. I'm not trying to discourage Mark or Dan from ever, ever, ever talking about it again. I think I am just going to understand what DC wants to do and is pushing to do and what they're trying to do and just judge it based on what it is uh, the story itself how good is the story i don't think i'm going to try and and look i i may bite myself in the ass by saying this but i don't think i'm going to try and compare this alan scott to quote unquote my alan scott anymore um again that could come back to bite me in the ass because i'll probably something will probably happen and it'll piss me off um um but i in terms of in terms of pushing back on the status quo as it exists right now, I've said all that needs to be said, I think. And from now on, I'm going to at least make an effort to try and judge it by what I see on the screen, uh, sorry, on the page um, and not by what I would like to see on the page. Understood. Um, and I, again, I'm not saying there's no value in continuing the conversation. I'm saying, I've said all that I can say, and uh, I can only react to what I get moving forward. Now, uh, in regards to the issue, the actual publication, or sorry, the, the episode that we did on it, yes, I had trepidations. Mark, you mentioned it. You mentioned, you know, you'd be on an island a little bit. Uh, I literally had a notepad up on my, it was like a, a way of self-policing myself. Uh, I said things like I put like a little note to myself, like don't talk over somebody else or this is a conversation, not an argument, so that I could like look at that and remind myself if I ever started feeling heated for any reason. Um, I also said something, and I, Mark, I didn't tell you this because I wasn't sure how you'd react until you just said what you just said. I literally put on there, don't let Mark feel alone on this. <laughs> um, and not like, you know, you need me to baby you or anything like that. You're, you're a grown ass man and, and you, you can, you've, fully own your own points a hundred percent and you're fully capable of speaking on them. But I knew, you, uh, you know, you knew you'd be alone in that in a lot of ways, not fully, but I also, yes, knew it going into it. And I didn't want that episode to come out like Dan and Chad are going, Mark, you're a homophobe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I know that's not what you are. No. Um, and, and besides yeah. you, I think, and I, and I did appreciate, I did appreciate when we did the second Especially when we did the second segment, you, I think you did, I think you did try to. I'm not going to say you, you completely walked over to my position, but you, you kind of, you walked, you walked more of the middle ground in certain areas when you were, when you were fleshing out your ideas. Yeah, and and, and, that, and, and I appreciate, and I appreciated that. Yeah, and that, and that was intentional. It wasn't, and, and intentional and truthful. I want people to be to know. I didn't start walking over to some of Mark's points by aligning them with some of my own to make Mark feel less alone or soften up what he says or anything like that. Again, he's a grown ass man. He doesn't need me to do any of that for him, but I truly felt the way I felt and, and, and aligned with him on certain points, but maybe disagree with the way in which they were said. So I said them in my own way, not as a way for me to go. I think what Mark's saying, let me explain it to the audience is but trying to, put the feelings that Mark was feeling and that I identified with and thus was feeling myself into my own words, because in a topic like the one that we did, when we talked about uh, Alan Scott, Green Lantern, number one, when you talk about topics like that, it's very dangerous, of course, because you risk the people pushing back and calling you homophobe because they listened to five minutes of a one hour podcast or whatever, um, or so on and so forth, whatever the risks are, that are in broaching such topics that have a lot of emotion behind them is I, and, and maybe this is me also, you know, growing up wanting to be a journalist, things like that. 
I want to say things in my own voice so that it's out there for someone. If they're going to quote me, they're going to quote me and not what they think I said. So if I, if, if in any way I talked over or tried to clarify what Mark said, or he thought I was trying to clarify what Mark said, I was trying to put those feelings in my own words. So that if you want to quote me, you quote me, you quote Dan, you quote Dan, you quote Mark, you quote Mark. And that's not a way to distance myself from them because they're my friends and I believe fully in their intentions. But there's this, this line that you have to walk these days that you don't have to walk with nearly, you know, with so many other topics and those, these, these big topics we don't necessarily broach on this show. So when we get into those serious topics, you're going to see a more concerted effort from me to try and say things my own way. Uh, and I hope it never comes like I'm trying to throw Mark under the bus and going like, uh, here's what I said and here's what Mark said. And we're two different people. And if you want to be mad at Mark, be mad at Mark. But I didn't do anything. That's not the intent there. I hope it never comes across that way. That's also why I'm trying to take a step back from talking about this subject more longer than we need to. I think we did a great job in that episode. I, I, do, not, I do too. I think, I think overall I, I actually, yeah. I mean, it's funny. There was one part of it that I, that I actually remembered differently when I went to edit it. I actually thought I, when Dan said something, I thought, I thought I pushed back and I don't, I don't mean in a hard way, but I thought I countered his assertion in my mind's eye or in my mind's ear, I actually thought I said something, which I didn't, which kind of surprised me when I edited it. But overall, I think the episode came out pretty well and I was pretty happy with, with the discussion that we had. Exactly. And I think that's the other part I want to, and I want to be fully transparent about that. That's the other part of the reason I, I am going to make an effort to don't know if it's going to happen. We'll see. Going to make an effort to not talk on those subjects as much anymore, because frankly, I don't want to feel like this about a fucking episode. Like we do this for fun. I don't want to have to sit awake and it's not like it kept me up at night or anything, but like, I don't want to have to be like, Oh shit. How should I post about this? Uh, Ooh. And maybe I should say this instead of this. Let me open up my fucking thesaurus so I can see what other word I can use. It's not as triggering as what, well, you know, like not that I did any of those things, but this is kind of how my stupid mind works. I can, I at least considered those things and that in and of itself is crazy. <laughs> so I don't, I don't want to deal with it. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, if again, if the topic comes up naturally, it comes up naturally because I'm feeling that way and I notice it that in the moment. That's totally fine. I don't want to have to sit here and try and make prepared statements anymore <laughs> or have to police myself by putting little notes to myself on the screen about how I conduct myself in an episode. So I'm not going to put myself in those situations. And it's as simple as that. My last point I wanted to make specific to uh, your original point about the Molly Maine thing and how DC may already be kind of stepping on the ghost there uh, and disrespecting that relationship. I agree with you. If you can, if you read some of the stuff that we have seen before, and again, as we pointed out in that episode, it's very little. We haven't seen very much right. actual publication pages about a gay or, you know, prime earth, Alan Scott, um, that it could be construed that way. But much like the Kilowog theory in the current uh, run of Green Lantern, I noticed something smelled funny in the first issue, but I waited to say something until I saw more concrete evidence and saw this thing building and went, okay, I'm ready to call it. I'm in the same vein as I was when we were covering Green Lantern issue one. I acknowledge and see what you're saying, Mark, and there could very much be water to that. And that could, that could be holding water. But until I have, more like on the page talking about Molly and the disrespecting of that relationship coming from Alan's own mouth or the narrator's mouth or whatever, until I have those more concrete things to point to in future issues, assuming if they even go there ever in the first place, I don't want to call that DC disrespecting that relationship just yet. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I understand you are being for very, multiple reasons. You are be, you are being cautious. Yes. Based on the way they've set up this whole dynamic, it's going to be virtually impossible 
for them not to disrespect that relationship because the fact that they've made Alan gay from the get-go, not bi, gay, not coming out later in life, it's by the very nature of it, that relationship is going to be very hard to make anyone. They would have to make a concerted effort to try to show that relationship was really was real. But there was something there was maybe a something, a slight little thing missing that Alan never realized at the time. And to be perfectly honest, once again, those don't seem to be the stories they, they're going to give a shit to don't want to tell it with this Alan Scott. So I don't so I seriously doubt that's going to happen. But you are correct. We it's if we had to bet money, we wouldn't be we wouldn't be betting. We're going to that that that's relationship is going to be respected. But until we get a little more evidence that it's disrespected, I can understand where you're going with it. Yeah, I see the writing on the wall, but I'm waiting to the point where I can show other people page numbers, panel numbers, (laughs) (laughs) the proof of it. Um, And this this may come across. Kind of like, I'm not racist. I have a black friend type of thing, but I have no problem with Alan Scott being gay. I want to make that 100 percent clear. First, at much like Shane said in the original, I love the Earth 2 New 52 version of this. The figure is staring at me in my five foot glass display case from Ikea. It's right here. One of my favorite covers from the New 52 era was the Ivan Reese Earth 2 number three cover of Alan in his costume for the first time and him on flame and screaming. So much so, variants are a big deal these this these days, but they're they're not as big of a deal back then when this was published. I went out of my way to find the sketch variant cover of that cover. And in terms of the story itself, I've obviously grown up since whenever this was published. What was it? Uh, July 2012. Um, done some growing up since then, as I think we all have. So I, my, my opinion may, you know, because the episode's out there, the show's been on the air for 15 years. Um, my opinion may have changed, but allowing some distance and time to pass and different rereads of that, those issues and stuff moving forward, I really liked what they did with Alan's relationship there. And I really liked the touch, man, that origin was almost, almost beat for beat the exact same as the original origin, but they kind of did this weird swamp thing thing with it too. Right. They made it like the green and they turned the ring that he was going to use into his focus for being green lantern. That was such a cool touch. Like, look, there's a way to have an Alan Scott gay uh, story and move forward and build a really interesting world and universe. Hell, there's a really interesting world to have a universe where Alan Scott, the 1940s Alan Scott supported by Doyby Dickles and so on and so forth, like all of that and him be gay in another universe. But I, my, the, you know, the original Alan um, being changed does send off warning flares for me, but I can't fight. Fight's not even the right word. I can't push back against that anymore because that's not going to happen. You know, it's the same way. Like I have a lot of problems with various media companies or political things like a gerrymandering or, or whatever, but what can Chad Bokelman do about it, to be honest? Like, I have a very fatalistic view on a lot of things like that. I'm sort of in the same boat with some of this stuff. It's like, I can only hold in my head the ability to be angry consistently at so many things without wow. it utterly exhausting who I am as a person. I can't uh, be mad about this anymore. <laughs> I mean, Sh- Sh- Shane's point about the, new, about the New 52, Alan Scott was 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 good was a good one and you, that you just kind of like circled back around to that that is that is a good point and again that 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 is part that is part of and you're right for the for the most part this will probably be the last time we really talk about some of these things and, and as as far until until they're actually related to stories and story points but yeah the, the the problem the problem being that it's a it's to me, it takes a little bit away from the new 52 Alan Scott. Now that we know, now that we know that was always supposed to be a stepping stone. 
that that that, that, that was never just supposed to be what it was. That it was always was supposed to lead you to where we are now. And the plan was thought to change out the get the OG Alan Scott, and then to make sure you that you couldn't even tell a story with the original Alan Scott who was not gay anymore. All that stuff is just that's the stuff that was unnecessary. So I think that meant that, and again, that was a conscious choice, which they knew people was going to make it harder for people to accept, but they didn't keep. But they again, but they don't care. But yeah, so it, it, it you are you are correct. It is what it is. I'm I'm less reluctant to just not to say, oh yeah, when I'm I'll be more likely to talk about it just because again, how we got here is important because it's not like they can't just do this to somebody else and to make some kind of change, massive change to somebody down the road. Because remember, Alan Scott in the big picture is like a like a beat at best, is like a B a B tier character in most people's minds, unless you were reading Alan Scott when you were a kid growing up. So this is like a successful blueprint for taking characters and changing them. So you could see the same exact blueprint done to a major character and they'll say, well, we can do it because we've done it before. And there wasn't as much pushback. There was some pushback, but we got through it. So we'll do it. I don't know. That's what my, that's what my concern is by not expressing displeasure about it. And it does come down to, again, who, who are these stories really for other than the creators that don't care what the readers want, but they want to tell these stories because you can't think objectively this is going to appeal to a large percentage of comic book fans who want to read that kind of story centered so much on somebody's sexuality, regardless of what that sexuality is. So that's that's where it becomes that's another that's another raw, a rough spot for me when it comes to this. That, But, you know, yeah, we, I think. Yeah, I think I think at the end of the day, it's just like the the changing thing. It's like I think there are some people out there who believe that if I don't accept this, I don't accept what they're trying to do or the stories they're trying to tell. I think I have no problem with reading stories about an Alan Scott from the 1930s and 40s who was a closeted gay man and had the same history as the Alan Scott I know. But, you know, experienced these issues and had a a foe we never ended up hearing about or whatever. I have no problem reading those stories and I want to see where that goes. But you can't make me accept that it's the same. Absolutely. I I can't and I won't. That doesn't mean I'm not down to read the issues. That doesn't mean I'm not down to see you explore this type of story, but you can't tell me it's the same guy because it's not. Yeah. Because you're actively admitting to retconning his past right here. And I'm not one of those people who's going to say, don't tell me these new stories and instead give me the other guy. What I am going to say is, yes, those old stories still exist. And if I miss him, I can go back and read him. That's great. But this is not the same Alan Scott, and you can't force me to think of him as that way. And that's totally fine, but I am not wrong for that. No. I am I, I am down to read your stories of the gay closeted man because someone – and I think it might have been the interview you sent me earlier, which you can link uh, on the actual podcast uh, post for this if you want uh, or whatever – but the interviewer or something said something to Tim Sheridan. It's like, because, and I, I agreed with him, actually. Uh, one of the points I agreed with in that interview. It's an interesting concept to have a man, a hero with a secret identity, whose secret identity has a secret identity. Right. That's a cool, just inherently, yes, okay. The, the man, when he's being himself, uh, when he's not being a hero, he is still not being himself. That's an interesting thing. And let's explore that. That's cool. It's just I you can't force me to go to 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 find everything I've ever read about this character and go all of it was wrong because this was here all right. along. We just never knew it. And that's my problem. Not that Alan's gay now. Right. It's, yeah, it's it's and that and that and that ultimately and, was and, and even that's going to read you know read as wrong to somebody no, or, or no. come across somebody's ears as as the wrong thing. But to that say. was that was ultimately my point to Dan when I was saying this isn't the real Alan Scott. 
it isn't because, oh, he's like I said, he's sleeping with members of pool A when he used to sleep with members of pool B. That it just has that. It isn't just that. It, it's how they're approaching the character, too. But yes, even if you wanted to look at there's so much of his life. See, in a way, this media comic books is the worst kind of media to try to do this massive kind of retcon because we get glimpses into characters thoughts all the time in comics we get thought balloons we get them thinking out loud to themselves when they're alone we get this all the time so to rewrite a character's 70 year history and never have any of these thoughts because he would have if this was the same character he would have had thoughts even if he never expressed them out loud if that's was who he truly was. I figured so it out. I figured it out. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I figured it out. I had an epiphany. This is not Alan Scott Ooh. of another multiverse or another earth. This is Alan Scott of another timeline. That's it. That's all it is. This is Alan Scott of another timeline. It's not even another earth. It's another timeline, whether it's hyper time or whatever you want to refer to it. There's so many cases in comic yeah. book history. Let's Legion of superheroes. The different eras of publication history of, of Legion, I and mean, I can't even remember the names of them off the top of my head at this point, but we Legion fans literally refer to canonical events in Legion history by which timeline they're referring to. You know what I mean? They're, yeah. they're talking about characters and, and events in those characters' history based on different timelines. This is this is to, to me. Them, them changing Alan in this way is almost like being introduced to John Byrne's Man of Steel and the lore of Krypton that he came up with, and me being a big fan of everything that came. And, and I'm not saying I am, but me being a big and st- studied fan of everything that came about Krypton Kryptonian lore before John Byrne's Man of Steel. That's a timeline change. That's a that's a timeline change. That's a history change or whatever. It can even be a lot of the core same concepts of the original character and everything. It's it's a hundred percent the same. It's just something has switched. In my mind, that's still a different character. So I I don't know. I I I I'm losing track of my my thought there. But it's like it's a time it's a timeline difference. These are two different timelines for the same man, Alan Scott. Yeah, but we, we even if you said that, DC would say, well, this is the sacred timeline, Chad. <laughs> this is the sacred timeline. That's why I like what Shane said about the rest of the JSA, too. I don't like about this, a lot of the stuff that's happening with the JSA in general. So and I I dislike those things to an equal degree. So, it's right. like, you know, yeah, cause, cause it, because it's all changing what they were. And yeah. cha- giving them different relationships and different, it, it, yeah, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not the same. Yeah. All right. So let's do one. Let's do one brief thing as we're wrapping this, wrapping All this right. up. We'll say, we'll save until I, and I'll have a, a more of a voice to talk about in whatever capacity we'll talk about that variety, variety article on Marvel. So as we speak, as we record this, the Wednesday, Wednesday the eighth, the Marvels is about to open. Apparently to a big thud (laughs) based on everything that we're seeing here that, you know, it's struggling from a Rotten Tomatoes perspective. I think it's still at 59 percent. I've been refreshing this for a while. It's been rising a little bit. I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up into the low 60s, but it's still horrible score. 131 reviews. So I don't think it's going to move dramatically. The box office tracking for this movie has dropped all the way down from 35 to 49, which means, putting it in perspective, let's say this tracking range is accurate. Even if it hit 49, that means it's going to open up less than The Incredible Hulk did back in 2008, which is absolutely pathetic. It also means, as long as it falls somewhat in this range, even if it overachieves slightly, it means that the Marvels is all but guaranteed domestically in its entire domestic run to not make as much as Captain Marvel made in its opening weekend. So this movie is if Disney and Marvel are lucky, this is going to be the the 
the nadir of the of the MCU where they might be able to start recovering from because this certainly looks like this is going to be rock bottom as far as box office, poor critic reviews. I'm not sure what the I don't know what the audience reviews are. You're gonna have to be leery too because that could be that could be review bombed in a positive way too as well as negative. But this is not shaping up well. So we'll have to see. It kind of sucks for Loki, too, because Loki could have the best final episode we've gotten, period, in a Marvel show. And it's going to be overshadowed by this turd that apparently comes out the same day. So Mm. have you been keeping up with Loki? Not yet. Well, catch up, because that might be an episode we can get Jim on, because I know Jim's been keeping up with keeping up with it. So that could be an episode we could do with Jim. And then we could talk about maybe the variety article too, but that's it. That's all I have. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Mark, if they want to reach out to us, how do they do so? Lanterncast.com. The website is lanterncast. Excuse me. Lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitch. Oh God, shoot me. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag GLCast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Rest in Peace Stitcher. Please leave us a positive review on all platforms you listen to us on. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a text or a voicemail, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. Yep. Uh, Guys, we're also on Blue Sky now. Um, Add that in. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, it's of of the frothing mess of things that – have come up in the wake of Twitter's uh, stutter steps to its own demise. Uh, it seems like uh, Instagram's threads and then the blue sky app have uh, risen to the top of the foam as the, the two main alternatives for Twitter if Twitter ever goes down. So um, given the news recently that they're beta testing things like a subscription and paid for just using Twitter. Um, look, the, <laughs> There, the decision making over there uh, in varying capacities has uh, has been uh, not uh, not positive for user confidence moving forward. So uh, will Blue Sky or Threads just be everything Twitter once was or will it just be a shadow of it? I don't know. But we're there if you want to find us. (laughs) Um, So, you know. Reach out uh, as as you will, <laughs> and otherwise, I guess we'll uh, we'll talk to you later, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night.